0: You're listening to Embolden Adventures. I'm Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, listeners and adventurers. Welcome to another episode of the Embolden Adventures podcast show. Embolden Adventures, be emboldened. Embolden Adventures is meant to inspire you to travel, to get out there, to explore, to learn. Let Embolden Adventures encourage you to take those steps to experience the world. Follow along on the adventure. Visit the website at emboldenadventures.com. Sign up for email updates on new content and ideas. Follow Embolden Adventures on Facebook and social media. And subscribe to the Embolden Adventures podcast show on the podcast page of the Embolden Adventures website. Please rate the podcast and tell us what you think. is part of the emboldened Adventures series on Mount Kilimanjaro located in Tanzania in Southeast Africa Mount Kilimanjaro is known as Africa's rooftop it is the fourth most prominent peak in the world and it's the world's highest freestanding mountain at 19,341 feet tall so what business does this New York City gal have climbing one of the tallest mountains in the world Kilimanjaro I don't know either <laughs> but I'm gonna give it a shot this year Join me in my journey as I ready myself to summit this mountain, along with my friends from around the world. This mountain climb is not like that of Everest, only reserved for advanced mountaineers with appropriate climbing equipment. It is basically a long, gradual walk up a very tall mountain. However, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro is still a very difficult feat. High elevation can cause altitude sickness for even the best of hikers. The occasional high winds and the cold temperatures can make the hike uncomfortable. While fatalities are rare, just a 0.01% chance, it is worth noting the dangers of falling rocks, slipping, and advanced altitude sickness. The experience is both mentally and physically challenging. Hikers can expect to walk between three and eight hours a day for up to nine days in total. On the day of summiting, hikers can walk a total of 16 hours starting in the middle of the night in temperatures as cold as negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit. To be successful in reaching the top, here are some things to keep in mind. Walk slowly. Keep warm by dressing in appropriate clothing and in layers. Stay hydrated. Rest. And travel with experienced guides and porters. Recently, I had a chat with Natalie Took of the travel blog natpacker.com. On her site, Nat writes about the joys of backpacking around the world in an affordable way. In 2015, Natalie and her now husband Dave climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. She wrote all about her experience on her website. I enjoyed reading her journey and learning her tips on how to prepare. And who better to learn about packing a backpack for Kilimanjaro than Natalie? So you were inspired to create natpacker.com with the idea of encouraging others to travel.
1: Yeah, my blog is natpacker.com, so it's spelt like backpacker, but say at the back, you've got Nat. It's a budget travel backpacking blog. You can read my adventures, read a bit about different destinations, and some hints and tips of like how to do a round the world trip and things like that. Uh, if you want to find me, I am on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, I just post slash not back
0: at travel it's a very interesting take on a travel blog I just took a look at all of your posts as it chronicles your adventure they're extremely comprehensive I think you did a really great job uh, profiling and documenting your adventure and it got me excited. I'm like, I think I could do this. (laughs) (laughs) But how do you go from European adventures to wanting to climb the tallest freestanding mountain in all the world, Mount Kilimanjaro? I'm really curious your story.
1: Basically, always on the bucket list. Me and my partner that year had been together. So we thought, let's do something big. Let's actually take something big off the bucket list, essentially. It wasn't on the summit for our anniversary, it was technically the day before, so we were nearly there on our anniversary, and he proposed on that day as well.
0: You uh, were proposed to at Kilimanjaro. How? Congratulations.
1: Yeah, very unexpected.
0: What did you see? I, you know, we know we start in the rainforest and we end in basically a glacier, but everything else in between must be amazing and gorgeous. It's been described to me as one of the best things they've ever done in, in, ever in their life
1: you feel such a sense of achievement once you're doing number one. So, but um, for like what you see, you get so many good views. If there's the third morning, you're actually walking over, it's like flat land, directly towards the peak, and the sun's coming over the peaks. So it's like a transition as well. So you go from rainforest to so it slowly gets rockier and rockier, and then suddenly you get it's Yeah, the transition's amazing. It's weird on the way down because it happens so much quicker.
0: You found your training, was it sufficient?
1: Didn't really train if I'm honest. We just kind of did a bit more running than usual, and picked up the gym a little bit more. Normally we only go to the gym once a week, so we did that twice a week instead. So It was just basically doing a little bit extra, but no actual proper training, so to speak. Both me and my partner are very determined once we set our mind on something, so and it is a lot of determination to get you up there, not just physical fitness. Is actually really wanting
0: to do it. It was sufficient. So, the, the little that you did in terms of walking, running, maybe some, you did some peak climbing, I think, um, yeah, in the area. Uh,
1: so, you said a couple of peaks that were getting the uphill kind of
0: train. For me, living in New York, I'm just making a point of walking everywhere. Like, for instance, I yeah. walked to the Apollo in Harlem and that took me an hour and a half. In my mind, like, walk everywhere. I walked to the opera last yeah. night. I walked all the way down to Chinatown. That was four miles, you know. So um, I did this urban walk with my friend around uh, the Chelsea area. But, um, but you said a very interesting point. And it, this goes along the lines of what my army ranger friend said when we were hiking back in November, which was a lot of fun, actually. And he was saying that it's the mental stamina. You, said, you just yeah. said the mind over the physical. So tell us more about that. Actually, tell me more about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's deciding that you are going to make it rather than if you have doubts that you, maybe you can't do it, maybe this isn't right, and you won't manage it. It's having that just complete thought, no, I am doing this, I am doing this, I'm going to do this no matter what. That's what pushes you to actually get up there. Really, just accept. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm not good, I feel like I can't go on. But no, I want to do this. this is my once in a lifetime chance of doing this, so I'm doing this. It's that determination that definitely gets you up there.
0: So it's because you're tired and because you're you know not sleeping right and you're cold. Is is it that or is it more because of the altitude and you're you're not really breathing?
1: Right, so the altitude sickness. With us, it was definitely the second day in the mountains after the first camp. The air's thinner, so you're getting less oxygen in your blood cells, so it's harder to do physical activity. It makes it more difficult to breathe, so that's why um, they do the whole poli poli constantly, because if you go too quick, you'll lose your breath so quick, and then you won't be able to do it. It's all about making sure you're breathing right, but it affects you in different ways, like um, you can lose your appetite, you can not sleep very well. I actually, all I got was the tiredness, well, I was okay, my appetite was fine, I was, yeah, I'll eat anything, just just give me food I know I need it. On the actual, doing the peak, the actual last, well, the summiting, you climb a lot in a small time, and it's that when I really got hit by it. I don't remember much of the summiting night. You wake up next morning going, oh, yeah, I did, I did that. Literally, it's so bizarre. And we actually took him two sickness pills, and altitude, I actually on. Dying that's what they are, because the company we did it with uh, kind of advised maybe to take them. As soon as we got there, though, the actual guys said, don't bother taking them. One night we decided, after you was starting to get to us a little bit, thought, oh, nah, I'm going to take it, Going to take it. Took one, didn't take it ever again. Really? Yeah, the next morning I woke up, and I had the worst pins and needles in my legs. I couldn't stand for the first, like, half an hour. Wow. It was absolutely terrible, really bad side effects on my... No, I'll just deal with the altitude sickness. You hike high, then camp low. So that way it allows your body to adjust better. So doing it naturally like that is a much better way of doing it. And, you yeah, know, we had no one in our group. We were only a group of five that got really badly affected by altitude. No one really. because I think it was because of doing that. Walk high, camp low.
0: So you're, you're yeah, pushing yourself higher up for the day, and then you actually yeah. descend to a lower part. So it's yeah. almost like a roller coaster, so to speak. But you're still making your way up. Yeah. It's just you're roller coastering it up. And you're sleeping yeah. at a lower altitude, in, relatively yeah. speaking. It
1: allows you to adjust to it better.
0: Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, that mental push, right? I mean, it's amazing. I think what you just said, if I heard you right, you don't remember much of the the summit. No, and so yeah. if you didn't have a photo, you'd never know it happened. <laughs> no. What about obviously taking photos, documenting this electronically, maybe having some music to listen to on your headphones? You know, one thing I'm finding is I'm afraid if I bring my phone, if I bring my camera, obviously the battery's going to drain because it's cold. You know, there's no place to charge. There's no electric socket. So how did you work around that?
1: I I had the same worry. I found mine was absolutely fine.
0: For For eight days, for nine days.
1: Yeah, my camera, we, I didn't have a smartphone back then, so my, my phone was just turned off, didn't care about that. But my camera, yeah, it only went down to about half. I just charged it up and out before, and then basically when I was getting out to take a picture, try to do everything as quickly as possible so it could be turned off again. And I really take pictures that I really wanted. The first few days I was quite frugal with it, really. But By the time, you know, two days in, you go, I've not used any battery, this is amazing. And then don't try and look at your pictures during the evening, just leave your camera and be like nope. I'm not going to look at them until I get home because that's when you're going to waste the battery.
0: That's a great suggestion. I never thought about it that way. Don't turn it on when you don't need it. Uh, you know, obviously, don't look at the pictures. <laughs> and then I'm I'm thinking of maybe getting one of these solar chargers or something where I could at least get some more oomph for juice. But I know my my iPhone's going to die. It's just it died at Stonehenge, you know, <laughs> and it was at forty percent battery because it was very cold that day. It was a lot of wind and. You know, I was taking a few pictures and it just crapped out on me, so I'm like, Okay, this is a sign to not take the phone. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> gonna die. Yeah, I think
1: buttons use the batteries a lot quicker than the actual cameras.
0: You probably wanna keep them close to your chest, right? You don't want them exposed yeah. in the elements in your maybe backpack. Where where did you store them?
1: My camera actually kept in my pocket. That was absolutely fine for it. Or if it was raining I put it in a waterproof pocket. But that was the only worry really if it get got rained on.
0: Okay, well, that's good to know. So I guess that goes back to then, how do you pack your backpack? You know, what type of backpack did you bring? And what did you need on those day trips? Because clearly the porters are bringing a lot of your stuff. They're bringing the tent, the sleeping bag, you know, all your necessities for the night or for the for the full day. But for you yourself, packing, what what are your recommendations?
1: So I took my big backpack, which I think is 75 litres. That was basically for the porters to carry. I had everything in it, but... On the flight there, though, I um, had my day set that I was taken on the plane. I had my important things, like my merino wool base lace things like that, just in case it got lost. It was quite surprising how often it rained, but it would kind of rain for 30 seconds and stop for 30 seconds and rain again. Just making sure you had a few layers, and the I say, they waterproof and windproofing.
0: So you waterproofed your backpack as well, those covers? Yeah. Okay, well. so get one of those covers for your backpack. You had a 75-liter backpack on your back up the mountain. No,
1: that's what uh, the took My day sack is about 30 liters.
0: 30 liters. So you just had some extra layers. You had your camelback. Did you bring your water that way through a camelback? I didn't
1: have a camelback. When you're actually summiting, you have to be careful because it and freeze in the tube, the water can, and then you can't actually get anything out. Oh, so I two water bottles, water both a litre, so I two litres a day. So, yeah, those on the side, and then just oh, gaiters as well. Gaiters were really good to have.
0: And gaiters um, are those coverings for your shoes, especially in the muddier parts of the rainforest. Yeah,
1: yeah, so they kind of go over your walking boots and up to about mid calf. So yeah, when you don't quite need a full waterproof, but it's a bit muddy, they, they're great. And they're actually really good for when you're summiting, because they give that extra, even though you've got your reno wool socks, your layer, your boots, and then your actual pants, and then your waterproof pants and windproof, they just give that extra layer of protection for like your ankles and feet.
0: You mentioned the base layers, the wool socks. You know, a lot of that may be ski equipment. Is well, that what you saw they were wearing? They were wearing like ski jackets and, you know. There wasn't a
1: lot in ski jackets or anything. It was mainly just like fleeces and then a, a waterproof, windproof coat.
0: Excellent. Okay, so Merino wool base layers bring a bunch because this is one thing I naively thought is you don't change. You wear the same clothes for the eight days you're hiking the mountain. Oh, it does change. You I do change.
1: Two pair of base layers, one merino wool pair and one cheaper polyester well, pair. Save my merino wool base layers until the last couple of days and just use them for that. You had such a range of temperatures, really. So it's just being prepared. The day before the summit, it was more of a plateau. We were walking across. The sun was on us so by The had my base layer on at that time ended up walking just my base layer. It was that hot, and it was like it shouldn't be this hot up here, but it was so hot. Because just how the sun was angled
0: on the like the plateau, so to speak. Wow. Yeah, I thought I I thought I saw that uh, in one of your posts about why you have to go up in the evening, where you start your summit at midnight or so because of the heat. And I was thinking to myself, like, how? I thought there were other reasons for for starting in the evening, but yeah. So you were quite surprised it was hot at the plateau. Yeah,
1: I say that was the day before the summit. Oh, I see. We were quite high, so I expected it to be a lot colder. But yeah, then going up at night, that was freezing. The summit was absolutely freezing, i can tell you that. They tell you to not start off in too many layers on the way up and layer up as you go because by the time you get everything on, ready to go, you walk for you know a mile or so, and then someone's there saying, oh, can I stop to take a few layers off? And then an hour later, it's like, oh, I just need to put another layer on. So it made us quite slow.
0: I see. So it's about being efficient in terms of how are, how you're walking, how you're planning for that yep. walk. It's gonna yep. it's taking forever just to get up there and you wanna make it before a sunset or whatever kind of the, the time frame. Because you're walking what? Like maybe seven, eight hours a day, is that true?
1: Yeah, seven eight hours a day for most days, but then the two days before the summit they only did half days basically give you more rest. You can do that in one big day. But we opted for the option where we had the extra night on the mountain an afternoon each way so we could rest up and then be more ready for the peak.
0: I see. I mean, you mentioned the word pole pole earlier, and that is Swahili for slow, right? The whole point is to walk... What you're describing, people stopping to take off and put on, you know, layers and kind of dilly-dallying and holding up the, the group, aren't you going slow anyway, <laughs> where, where it's yeah. almost like you're going like a snail's pace. I'm just, I'm asking, you know, more sarcastically, but I'm also curious too, like how, how slow are you really going where you're actually holding people up?
1: In the, the first day, it felt so slow. It yeah. really felt like, like, come on, we can do quicker, we can do quicker, we can definitely do quicker. But they were, adamant. No, we're going slower with keeping at this pace. And by time you get to, they were right all along really
0: that's the thing trust the guides right they obviously know yeah. what they're talking about and what did you learn about the guides
1: they all been traveling themselves a bit they'd all been to england and that so that was quite fun but there's actually it's not just swahili language they were all like trilingual because each tribe had their own language itself so we had to speak their tribe language the swahili so everyone can speak the same language in the country and all english as well And um, they were all really fun we yeah, was just, they were great guys, actually.
0: And they're all from Tanzania? They're all local?
1: Yeah, they're all local.
0: Excellent. Help me understand how important this uh, this outfitter is, this, this one that you choose.
1: Okay, so you always have a head guide, and then you have you two guides per customer. So we had five of us actually on the wall, and we had a head guide and two assistant guides. When we were summiting, there was one girl who struggled quite a bit, so it meant that the rest of us for us go ahead with the head guide and the other two guys could stick behind with her and check she was OK. You've got enough guys to stay with you and make sure it was OK and one to stay with the person who needs help. And the porters, you've got ones that carry the tent, ones, you've got your own personal one who carries your bag. We had a chef and two assistant chefs, so I think they work on the same kind of thing with two per person. Then you also have a summiting porter, so it's a porter that goes up with you to the summit and the rest of the porters don't. He brought like tea and coffee and stuff and we were meant to have it at the actual summit and we were like, No, it's too cold. <laughs> Go down a bit. I felt so sorry for him he he got his bag bag off and started and he was like, No, no, we're going down. But like on the summit also the well, our free guides and our summiting porter, they were basically a godsend because really hard with the altitude so it's physically demanding and they basically ended up carrying everyone's bags it was amazing they had their own bags
0: even the even your day backpack
1: they were carrying they were carrying our day wow the summiting porter took mine off me at that point where i got really cold and forgot that i had all my stuff he was like no you're not having it i'm having it so he had his bag with his tea and coffee nothing he had mine you had the guides have like other people's bags as well because you had to take what you need up at the top um, but they have like, their stay kits and everything else in, so, you know, you, they are very impressive.
0: Amazing, amazing. They are a godsend. I mean, you're, yeah. they're it's amazing that they're there with you. So they're bringing, they're providing the tents, they're providing yeah. the sleeping bags, they provide the food, they provide the toilets.
1: You, you could pay extra for your own toilet, basically, but the campsites have toilets. Other than that, it's, finding a, something to pee behind or a rock. Oh, I see.
0: Oh, say, like okay. okay. But the campsites, ha- so you're th- you're walking to actual campsites. They're not just a bunch of rock area that looks good to just put down your tent. There's some established sites?
1: Yeah, they're not really established in, you know, the sense that you, that I'm used to. It is literally, um, they just rather have everyone in the same kind of area because it's a national park. Um, it means they can provide... Toilets in the loosest sense of the word, literally a shed of a hole in the ground, kind of thing.
0: Were you comfortable camping?
1: I found it shocking, a lot more comfortable at than I imagined it was going to be. I mean, we were advised to take our own sleeping mat, so we did that and it really helped. And the porters, actually, they, they always try to find the nicest place for our tents. Yeah, it was a little bit cold and you really had to get really into your sleeping bags. Getting up in the morning was the hardest thing because, you know, you put your hand out the seat and you're like, oh, it's so cold, I don't want to go out. But, yeah, it was safe, strangely comfortable. And
0: what about, I guess you mentioned, I didn't know this, to take your own sleeping mat. Does that have a little bit of a built-in pillow? What do you do about the pillows?
1: I just use my clothes. I had a hoodie that I rolled up. I mean, you can take a pillow. It's something extra for the porters to carry, really.
0: Or maybe Lightning. something you can blow up. You know, I have one of these small little pillows I bring on the plane. Yeah. I see. And so they're worth their weight in gold. They, and these guys are like supermen, you know, it's like the Sherpas yeah, I mean, in baby. Nepal.
1: It's when you see like, the poor horses with the big sacks they have on the head. Yeah. And you can just think how much is in there. And they're sprinting past you. The night we saw it, where we were camp camping, I can't remember what it's called, but I know it's Swahili for ice. That day they did the. It was only half a day trek, but the last campsite there's no water at, so they had to climb halfway down and go and get water again. Glad well, we took in um, water purification tablets.
0: Water purification tablets, excellent.
1: Yeah, even though they do boil the water and they make it safe, I found on the first day, no, second day, sorry, when I was just drinking the water they boiled, I got a. Not a massively upset stomach, but I felt a little bit little bit sick all day, basically. And then the next day, I thought, right, I'm going to actually put the water before purification and see if it's because I'm just drinking that water. And the next day, I felt much better, Yeah. And um, Rehydration is actually as well and really good. And I like yeah.
0: that electrolyte type of stuff.
1: Yeah, it helps you just absorb more water, basically. So they bathed done that and got everything set up and ready before we'd even got there.
0: It seems like the porters are worth their weight in gold. The guide clearly knows what's going on, and it's very important to listen to them. Uh, they're yes, the ones that to help very you. very
1: They can kind of tell if you're struggling before you even know.
0: Did you have a doctor with you? Because I've heard some others have had doctors on the route. And okay. one doctor told my friend she couldn't summit. He was doing a test of, you know, if she can... Process what was going on. I think about sixteen thousand feet, and he actually prevented her from going. She was very disappointed because she felt she had it in her, um, yeah. but you you didn't have that with you.
1: No, no, but you no, did
0: no. make it. How long? The, how many days did you? So it was what? Five days up, two days down. What? What was your yeah. plan? I think it was.
1: Yeah, it was nine days total. So oh, nine days. so no, that's including the um, hotel. Seven days on the mountain, five up.
0: Too down. Yeah, so that was the appropriate time because that's what I've heard that the slower you go, the higher probability you have. Yes. And you mentioned the last what was it two days up? You were taking half day hikes. Yeah. Okay, and then what did you do the rest of the time? Just kind of hang out, sleep, eat.
1: Yeah, it was. Um,
0: get proposed uh, to. <laughs> well,
1: on the first afternoon, there was a few of us that were up for just a bit more of a walk, so the guide was happy to take us along the path that we'd be doing the next day, and then back for some food and then rest. Then that night we were summiting, so it was a go to bed, rest, and we'll wake you at 10 at night. I Great. see.
0: You mentioned water and food. First of all, how are they getting the water up the mountain? Is it natural? Because I know they're going to boil it for you, but and then they give you your water for the day to carry on your own, but where is this water coming from?
1: They collect it as they go. They don't have all the water for the entire trip so they know places they can get it from naturally
0: oh it's a natural spring or something oh yeah there was
1: some places where they had places to collect, collect the rain
0: oh excellent okay and um the food situation i mean i heard people are eating like kings on this you'd be surprised how much you're eating
1: yeah well they want a high success rate so they're just giving you food. If you finish your plate, they're going, you'll have your seconds. You can't say no to the seconds. They literally don't let you say oh, no. Oh, really? If you don't finish your plate, then are you sure you don't want that? Are you really sure? Are you sure you're not going to eat it? It takes a while to actually say, all right, you're obviously not going to have it, kind of
0: thing. That suggests you're probably not hungry along the way. Like, you're not eating a Cliff Bar, for instance, or any sort of snacks, like gummy bears.
1: We actually bought some snacks um, before we went up. You we didn't touch them because they kept you so well fed. Um, I mean, all our food was included, so we didn't need that much. It was just really souvenirs and drinks. But then you do have to think about the tip as well. And it's the tip in a big one. I mean, we took much more money than we needed. As we discovered, we were like, oh, we didn't buy anything. I think we took 400 pounds each as a just-in-case.
0: That makes sense. That's more or less 500 U.S. dollars or so. Yeah, Yeah. just as spending money or whatnot. But you converted your money in Tanzania?
1: Yeah, you do have to do it in Tanzania because it's a closed currency.
0: Oh, is that right?
1: Yes. They do take US dollars, so you don't actually have to convert your US dollars.
0: Oh, perfect. Okay, well, that's easy enough. Um, And for the tip, I know some people talk about this in their blogs um, what's an appropriate tip and you know some aren't working for a living wage and they're actually not getting enough of a payment what what's appropriate I mean obviously these guys are working very hard
1: I think the general rule was something like 70 to 80 US dollars per day, day. it's different as well for like the porters get a certain amount then your like, personal porters get something like the stomaching porter the chef's the assistant guy getting more than the head guy get the most. It's like a pyramid mm-hmm. thing. Um, I would definitely buy. to try and do it all in the same currency. You can never do it separately on your own. We decided to do it as a group. We had Tanzanian shillings, we had US dollars, and we had, I think we had pounds as well. So it just ended up being this big mess, and people couldn't quite understand what they were getting. But you yeah, just make sure you have the same actual currency right, if you're doing it in a group. It's quite complicated to figure out because, like, we were asking our head guide, so what is appropriate? What should we be giving each porter? He was like, "No, I can't tell you. I can't tell you." Yeah, so it's seventy to eighty dollars per day, and then it's something like fifteen dollars per day each porter, and then like twenty to thirty dollars per day for the chef and the summiting porter, and then whatever's left, the guide I think. Something around that. That kind of ratio is what
0: you want. And do they prefer U.S. dollars?
1: Yes, uh, well, our group did, because they, they all have U.S. dollar bank accounts. Good stuff. All
0: right, well, thank you very much, Natalie. I appreciate your time.
1: Hope you enjoy Kilimanjaro. It's well worth it.
0: It's well worth it. I'm determined. It's going to be hard, but we're going to see it through. I, I, Fingers crossed. My brother will be joining me and my friends, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. Good. Excellent. The wonderful yeah. Natalie Took of natpacker.com. Thanks again, nice to meet you. Thank you.